Well, tonight is the night that we begin in Ephesians chapter 1. Yes! Ephesians chapter 1. Brittany's going to read us through 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promise with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possessions of it, to the praise of His glory. Um, some of you guys might be wondering right now, wait a minute, I thought JC was starting the series Identity. Yeah. And we all came because JC was teaching yeah. the first message in Ephesians. Yeah. Now I'm feeling really good about myself. Thank you. <laughs> well, here's a scoop on what happened. Friday afternoon, after we had finished our classes in school, he, um, well, he had known, but he decided he was going to go see his grandmother, who is close to death, maybe, on in the hospital, and go visit her in Ontario. So he asked if I would cover for him so that he doesn't have to worry about it and he can just expend all of his energies upon family and grandmother over the weekend. So that's what we agreed to do. So if you're disappointed, I have news. His grandmother got saved. So you're disappointed no more. <laughs> so actually, it turns out that that was a really good weekend for JC. Meanwhile, I didn't know what I bargained for. I was vomiting all weekend. So that's where we stand. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> some of you are feeling queasy now. <laughs> so she found her identity. Grandma? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> So tonight, that's what you guys probably know by now. We're starting our new series in Ephesians. Um, we're going to look at about at least 15 sermons in this book. 15 will take us all the way through 6 verse 9 and then after the armor of God. And JC and I uh, might do a few messages in the armor of God. So that's unsettled. But there's going to be at least 15 messages here. All dealing with our identity, which is understanding who we are in light of who Christ is. 
So there is this relationship that we share, and there's an identity that we are equal in. So as we're going to see, we are in Jesus. That phrase is used five times in the passage we just read, and we're going to follow that phrase and see what Paul has to say about it, come to a conclusion about our identity, and work our way from there for the remainder of this series. Now, the cool thing is, is that for the first time ever, starting on Wednesday, um, we are conjoining... I might have made that up. (laughs) Wednesday and Sunday to synchronize in harmony so that what we study here Sunday night will have the opportunity to go more in detail on when... I've always liked when people say detail instead of detail. More in detail on Wednesdays as we gather in circles of friendship and community and just dig into Ephesians with all of our questions, all of our comments, all of our coolness, just about life and sharing. And I think it's going to be super excellent because JC, Stephen, Brittany, and Whitney will all be helping out with that. And we're going through a book. Um, It's not going to be too extensive. It's just going to be kind of the basis of discussion. It's called Practice Resurrection by Eugene Peterson. And it's a book that is going through Ephesians with the emphasis on practicing resurrection. So, just to give you guys a little map of where this is going, like, how long can you talk on identity? Like, how many times can you talk about it? Well, maybe a lot. But this series, Identity, is breaking up into three sub-series, if that helps make sense. So that there's a different flavor to each part that we move through. So it begins with identity, understanding who we are in light of who Jesus is. And that's chapters 1, 2, and 3. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. He wants you to know, you and Christ make this. In chapter 4, we'll enter into phase 2 of the series. It's called community. And that's where we put legs upon our identity. It's not just enough to know, oh, this is what I am. Because what I am will also dictate what I do. And so we look and we learn that it's not just about who I am, it's about who we are. I can only understand myself in context of the community of the church. That's when I begin to make sense of myself. We're the body of Christ. So we're we're together, we find our identity in Him, which demands many others. It's community. So that's chapters 4, 5, and 6 up to verse 9. And then from 6.10 to the end, you guys are familiar with the Armor of God passage. That sub-series is going to be called Victory. And so we found our identity, we have formed our community, and from there we fight for our victory. And that's how the series flows. So when we understand who we are, and we walk that out in context with one another, victory is inevitable. We won't lose, we won't step back. So that's where the whole thing is progressing, and that's what the whole series, identity, understanding who we are in light of who Christ is, is all going. So, any questions? It's a rare moment. Okay. Well then, let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 1. What is... And identity. That's what I basically want to talk about tonight. Off the bat, what does Paul want us to understand? We are taking the first 14 verses. 
But in the ensuing weeks, we're actually going to take this section in a couple messages. I'm just taking the big picture of the first 14 verses because this is one of the, not to overuse the word, but epic passages of the Bible. Almost included it in the history series, but at the end scratched it out because it doesn't actually move the story of God along. It's a commentary on the story of God. And we're going to see that. So that's why we didn't include it there. But it's a big one. It's a big deal. Christ is mentioned all over the place. Many people come straight here to talk about who you are. And so I want to just give an overview over it. And then we'll get into it in a little more detail in the following weeks. So, okay, what is an identity? An identity is a self-awareness of who one is. You become conscious of yourself and what you are and who you are and why you're alive. And your identity is defining that for you. So it helps us understand who we are primarily. And secondarily, it helps us to tell others who we are. It's, it's, this, it's this stigma, this image in which we want others to know where we fit in this world, why I'm important, and what part of this life I'm helping to promote. So our identity essentially announces, this is who I am, and this is what I do. So everybody knows why we're important on this earth, and that we feel like we have a place. That's essentially what an identity is. Now, people find identity in almost anything. There are a couple items you can find them in. You guys know when you get older, there's that temptation to find your identity in money. People feel more important as their income increases and they become identified with the fine, um, the fine delicacies of life that they possess because their bank account's so big. And so therefore I'm such a big person. Some people find identity in beauty. I'm known as a beautiful person, and that's why I exist, is so that people can adore my beauty. (laughs) Some people's identity is in knowledge, and they always feel like they have to portray their great wisdom or knowledge in a certain realm of life. And you find them always giving you information about things. Because they find their identity in what they know about that. Some people find it in athleticism. You know, what they do on the football field is who they are. And you take the football field away from them, they don't really know what their purpose is anymore. Or any other type of sport or athleticism. Some people find it in fashion. They are really insecure if they don't get to wear what they want to wear. If you have to put them in someone else's clothes, they don't know who they are anymore. Because they've been known as the trendsetter, as the hipster, as the... Notice I'm not looking... I'm just kidding. That's not JC. I really... I was just throwing that because it's just a cultural thing. Um, Some people find it in their friends. Your friends are your identity. And by yourself, you just don't even know who you are. Uh, certain interests, we sometimes we just love to, actually, sometimes we all just love to let people know what we're interested in. This is what I like, and Facebook has a whole display of things you're into, and that's part of our identity. We want to let people know, this is who I am, this is what I do. There is, and Facebook goes on, not just like what you like, but just, there's always this like, this image. Some people find their identity in Facebook. The way people see them on Facebook is the way they want them to be seen in real life. 
So there's this constant pressure to keep up the status. But don't don't re-update your status too often because that might make you look a little insecure. But definitely don't skip a day because that means you no longer exist in the cyber world. So there's this delicate balance of how often to hit update post, whatever, I can't remember the button. See, I'm such an advocate. Um, there's a certain delicacy of like who you like and who you comment to and pictures you're tagged in. And you just got to have the whole thing systematically perfected. And when mom takes away your smartphone as punishment, now I have to go to a desktop? That's my life. Some of our identities found in music. Um... Just love to let people know the music that we like. Uh, relationships. And this might be a big one for those, especially in relationships at your age, is that, you know, they become everything to you. <laughs> what is it that Bella says to Edward? Oh, God. <laughs> You're everything to me or something. I feel like that line is said over and over in one of those movies. So you guys get the point, right? What'd you say? I was forced to know that, so don't worry. Um, come on, all you have to do is see a preview and you know the whole gist of everything. I love you so much, I want your blood. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not making fun. Some people love it. It's wonderful. Where am I going? You guys are getting me off track. This is what happens. Relationships. Oh, yes. I um, At the school I teach at, at Cal... What's it called? Lake Road Christian School? <laughs> I only know the abbreviations. LACS. It's all I refer to. At LACS, I get some of the journals from students. And there's, um, you know, there's an occasional time when you see a girl write things about... <clears throat> this guy is everything to me. And I read that and I'm like, oh, boy. Let's help identity here. So it's, it's just a very real thing that relationships can become our identity... And so, yes, we find our identity in items like that, but often we also take this, not every case, but often we take this and we want our identity formed around an image as well. Not just a thing, but we want this thing to become this aura, this picture of kind of this context we place ourselves in. So what we do is we grab people to enforce this identity in our lives. We grab people who share the same identity and we form a community around it. And that way we know if for whatever reason, I'm not looking quite as beautiful as possible. I'm at least around other beautiful people and I am at least associated with beautiful people. So I'm still somewhat beautiful because of the community I'm identifying myself with. And it's sort of like this net to protect our identities. Rich people are often around rich people. Lest if you hang out with poor people, they might mistaken you for a poor person. And that would be very bad upon your rich identity. And so we often try to form communities around ourselves just to help protect our identity. And sometimes this means we imitate the people around. Music's the same. Uh, the way we dress is the same. The way we talk is the same. And so identity is very much a part of us because it's how we want to it's how we want other people to see us. So now because we understand identity as who we are, we often put it at the very center of our life and our being, which has a tendency to make our identity become ultimate. Our identity becomes everything that we are. And thus, we need to work at keeping it up. We need to work at making sure that we don't blemish this identity. Why? 
Because in a world of death, in a world that's been cursed, and in a world that is feeling significant exile from its maker, we are looking to our identity as a source of life. But the more we feel in tune with this identity, the more we feel in tune with life, the more we feel like we are alive. Because this is why I'm here. This is who I am. And heaven forbid that we ever get divorced from our identity. What happens then? Well, then I don't know who I am. I don't really know why I'm here. And we begin to feel dead, depressed, really confused. So we often make our identities ultimate so that we can feel alive. So I guess in short, what I'm saying is that we cling to our identities because our identities define what it means to be alive. We cling to these identities because in these identities we find happiness, the source of meaning, and we have this feeling of, in a world that's not okay, if I have this identity, I finally am okay, because at least I know who I am. But there's always that danger of what if this thing we find our identity in falls from under us? It's gone. What if your identity has been beauty, and beauty... Is fleeting. And by the time you're 31, you're not as pretty as you were. Although, usually much later, girls, don't worry. What if, you know, it was money and the finances are gone? What if it was, <laughs> you go down the list, cars are definitely a source of identity, and it breaks down. I don't know. You got all these things you put your identity in, and what happens when they're gone? What is life about then? But if we find our identity in Jesus, then it is in Jesus that we find the meaning of life and that we find our source of life. And that's what Paul wants to say in this entire book. As a Christian, you can like and have many interests in many things, identify with the people you're with when you're with them, but your ultimate identity... When all is said and done, you are in Christ, which means who Christ is, is who you are. So let's take a look now at that phrase, in him, to see what Paul wants to say, that our identity is in Christ. So, in him. First verse is verse 3. There's five of them. Did I say that yet? Five in him phrases. We'll get the first in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's a part, who has blessed us in Christ, the rest say in Him, but that one says in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. So in Christ, God has blessed you. Number 2, verse 4. Even as God chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. So number two is that God has chosen us in Jesus. Number three, it's in verse seven. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins. 
So, number three, in Jesus we have this redemption, this forgiveness. Number four, verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. And then number five is verse 13. In Him you also, blah, 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 were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Sorry for the blah, blah. But there's a big parenthetical phrase there I just want to get over. By the way, you're going to see... Okay, hold on. Let me summarize there. Number five was, In Him you have the Holy Spirit who's a guarantee of that inheritance, which is in number four. Okay, now what I was going to say, Paul, you guys will see in Ephesians, more than probably any other book, has these parenthetical statements. If you just learn to see them and read around them, it'll make a lot more sense. That's what I just did for you, okay? He just, like, he says a thought, and then in the middle of the thought, he begins to explain what that first part meant with commentary, close it, and then continue that thought. And it makes for your reading, it makes you have to, like, dual process as you're reading, like a computer with a dual processor. And if you don't have a dual processing system, (laughs) you know, okay. So, okay. So in short, this is what he says. The five in him say this. In Jesus, you're blessed, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you have an inheritance, and you have the Holy Spirit guiding you to that inheritance. That's it. The five in hymns. Now, Paul uses these five in him phrases, I think, personally, to tell a story. I think there's a logical connection in what he's saying in those five in hymns. In fact, if we look really closely, you're going to see that it's the story of Abraham, it's the story of the Exodus, and it's the story of the Promised Land. Tree of Life. We're not the only ones who did a study on God's story. 26 sermons in our last series. You guys have moved on into the class of the Bible writers themselves. The Apostle Paul knew God's story very well. And I think that that's what we're going to see here is that he he threads God's story into our identity here. So what he wants to say in a sense is, if you're in Jesus then you and your identity has been pulled into God's story. Paul is very keen on his story. He wants us to know that you're wrapped up into it. God's story isn't just a history lesson. The bad side of the title of that series. It's not to imply that it's just all past stuff. He wants us to know now, now that we've looked at all that, he's taking the themes of Abraham, of Israel, and all those past stuff and he's pulling them into the present and he's saying church because you're in Jesus you are also wrapped up in this story right now in other words the story of Abraham the story of Israel and the Exodus is being carried out in you right now so it's not us to say oh gee it would have been so cool had we gone through the Red Sea To Paul and Jesus, you did go through the Red Sea. We were part of that whole thing. So here's a story that Paul tells us. And from it we will infer the identity we're supposed to have in Jesus. 
So let's look at it. The five in hymns, two of them are clumped together to help the story flow because that's the way it goes. <laughs> Number one is the story of Abraham. That's in verse 3 and 4. Notice that in Jesus we're blessed. And then in verse 4, in Jesus we are chosen. That's exactly what the deal was with Abraham. You might remember how the story started good. But Adam rebelled against the kingship of God. Adam was exiled from the garden as well as humanity. And the earth was cursed. And it was in the midst of this cursed earth where humanity was exiled from their creator and people were dying and creation was dying and death had set in. That in the midst of this cursed situation, God out of all the people on the earth called, chose, and elected Abraham amongst all of those people. Now some of us think, well, duh, Abraham was a godly man. But he wasn't. Abraham, the Bible tells us, was an idolater. That means he worshipped other gods when God chose him. This is election. This is being chosen before the foundations of the earth. God said, there is a cursed earth. And I am handpicking Abraham and his offspring to become a nation through whom I am going to bless this cursed earth. And what we begin to realize is that the promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. I don't mean that Jesus brings the promises to pass. I mean that the Abrahamic promises are Jesus himself. That Jesus fulfills these promises. That everything that the world has been hoping for in a state of curse has been blessed in Jesus through Israel. The whole promise of land, of all the nations being blessed, of a kingdom, of offspring, Jesus Christians, you are the offspring. We are the promised kingdom. We're yet to inherit the promised land. And the promised blessing coming through Jesus Christ. That's how Paul can sit here and say, In Jesus, the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, we are all blessed with every spiritual blessing. We, like Abraham, are all chosen We're called out of curse and into blessing. And so that brings us to point number two. The Exodus. So in him we're blessed, we're chosen. That's the story of Abraham. And in him we're redeemed. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redeemed is a word that speaks of purchasing something out of slavery. What, what's, what does Paul have in mind? Go back to Israel. In the slavery under Pharaoh's wicked rule in Egypt. In that slavery. And God comes on the scene and he redeems them. By punching Pharaoh in the face. That's what I would have wanted to do if I was Moses. <laughs> Let my people go. No. How many plagues does it take? <laughs> And then, of course, the times of Pharaoh goes, okay, 
and everyone's packed up and like at border patrol ready to leave. Just kidding, bring them back. <laughs> After a couple of that, I would have been like Moses. I've been Moses up to Pharaoh. I've been like, listen, serpent head man. <laughs> Let my people go. <laughs> Israel was redeemed from Egypt not by the punch of the fist <laughs> but by the blood of the Passover lamb and Paul makes the immediate connection for you Christian that yes we are elected like Abraham we're called out of curse and brought into blessing and you are also called out of slavery and brought into liberty because Jesus was our Passover lamb who bled for us and died for us and so that we are now those fleeing slavery, fleeing curse, in the life of blessing, saying, Come ye all nations, and join the Abrahamic blessings of the earth. So part number three of the story he's telling is in verse 11. So we see in him were blessed and chosen like Abraham and the blessings. In him were redeemed like Israel from Egypt. And now in him... We see the story of the promised land. Verse 11. In him we have attained an inheritance. And I just want to confess that I never understood this or saw this until we went through the history series together. It then dawned upon me in that series that the promised land was called Israel's inheritance. I don't know why I was so blinded when I would read the New Testament, read about inheritance here, and just think like so, like what we often do. We divide everything into compartments. That's Old Testament. I'm in New Testament now. Talk about inheritance. Hmm, inheritance. What does that mean? And we think about all these things about what inheritance can mean. Meanwhile, the Old Testament's over here screaming, Hello! And going through the series and seeing that Old and New Testament together are one story, it dawned on me that when the Bible says, and when Paul says here, that in Jesus we have an we have obtained an inheritance, that it's talking about promised land. It's talking about what Israel was meant to enter into, but rebelled like Adam and was exiled from. It's talking about the blessing that through Abraham, Jesus is going to bring the whole world into. It's talking about Revelation 21 and 22, which we studied last week. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, our inheritance. For us, promised land means heaven. And verse 13, which says, In Him you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, as Israel fled Egypt to go to their inheritance. They weren't left alone, but it was the presence of God himself dwelling in their midst in the tabernacle and going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The presence of God led them to the promised land. And that's what Paul says here is like Israel had that God's given us the Holy Spirit, our pillar by day, our pillar of fire by night to lead us until we reach the inheritance, until we enter the promised land. The spirit is there with us to guide us. And so I think in all of this, by telling us the story of Abraham, 
the Exodus and the Promised Land. And in those stories, telling us that we are in Jesus, Paul is saying this. In Jesus, God's story is your story. We have gone through the Exodus. We are going to the promised land. We are presently wandering through the wilderness of this cursed earth. We are the ones elected for blessing. So if we find our identity by understanding who we are in light of who Jesus is, then we're now ready to understand who Jesus is. We can, un- we can answer this. We've looked at the in him phrases. We've seen the story Paul's telling. And we can now say, we know who Jesus is, so now we know who we are in light of that who he is. And what's the point that is being drawn here? In Jesus... We were chosen like Abraham. We've gone from curse to blessing. In Jesus, we went from death and slavery to life and freedom in the Exodus. In Jesus, we're no longer going to be inheritors of this cursed, wilderness, deathly world, but we're inheritors of the new life, the eternal life of the promised land of heaven. In Jesus, there's this common thread going through all three stories, and that is that in Jesus... We have life. In Jesus, we are inheritors of the resurrection life itself. So that what it means that our identity is finding out who we are in light of who Jesus is, we're discovering that in Jesus, curse becomes blessing, exile becomes restoration, and death becomes life. Jesus is, to quote from John, the resurrection, and the life. And this is our identity, is that we are those who are in Him, in His resurrection, and in His life. Or to put this just more simplistically, we are communities of life in a world of death. We are trudging through a wilderness And we see creation subdued, not as it's meant to be. We see people treating each other not as they're meant to. We see people exiled from each other, exiled from their maker. And we are this community of, to borrow from history, this community of Eden. Or we're this community of resurrection, this community of life that's trudging through this wilderness, on this exodus path to the promised land, saying, all who will, come join You don't have to be stuck in curse. Be elected like Abraham to the blessings of Christ. Be redeemed out of your slavery. Because Jesus has paid for that. Come join us to a future of hope. Communities of life in a world of death. That's what I imply from the story Paul tells here. I want to show you briefly that he actually begins to say this a little more clearly as Ephesians goes on. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is retelling what we just read in light of resurrection. This will become as crystal as day, I hope. 
So look at 2, verses 1 through 3. I'll just, I'm just going to give you guys the condensed version because we're going to go through this in the future. So no worries to like, no need to get into it in deep. Look at 2, verse 1. And you were dead. It's pretty straight, right? No, no interpretation needed. You were dead in trespasses and sin. Just make sure you guys are getting the dead part. Then, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, here's some of his parenthetical statements, but God, blah, 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 verse 6, raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, there you go, yeah. He raised us up. Oh, I missed verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. There we go. You see how clear that is right there in chapter 2? You're dead, but in Jesus, he has raised us up. That's called resurrection. The dead become alive. That's our identity. Now in 2 verse 11. By the way, that corresponds with the whole redemption part like dead in your trespasses and sins but he redeemed us and we've been resurrected to be alive and set free and now 2.11 corresponds with the inheritance the promised land part of the story it says therefore uh, verse 12 is due 2 verse 12 remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel that would be like the promises of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise what does that mean? Separated, alienated strangers? That means exile. Exile. <laughs> this is just one of those nights, I guess. You all make fun of me. They always taught us when we were singing choir, you know the song, In Excelsis, In Excelsis Deo? Well, I remember they taught us to sing it in eggshells. See, in eggshells, because it sounds better when you sing it. Because all the kids are stumbling over in excelsis, and it sounded horrible. So I just did that. Exile. <laughs> okay, so what it's saying in 2.12 is, listen, remember, Christian, you at one time were exiled from the blessings of God, from the future of your promised inheritance. You were dislocated, homeless. But, in verse 13, Now in Jesus, you who once were far off, exiled, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You now have a home. You now have a future inheritance, which it goes on to explain. So, that's where Ephesians is going. Is it Christians, our identity is in the resurrection of Jesus. That's who he is. I'm tired of us talking. Well, I'm not tired. To be honest, let me. I feel I sound more mad than I really am. I'm not. Sometimes we over accentuate the crucifixion of Jesus, which is almighty, awesome, and important. But we forget that that's not who Jesus is. He went to the cross with the resurrection ever before him. He is the resurrected Savior, not the dead Savior. That is who he is, and that's who we are in him. That we are communities of life, or I shall say tree of life, is a community of life in a world of death. 
So, with all that said, this is why later when we hit the community section in chapter 4, don't be surprised when Paul comes very blunt and to your face and says, I want you to watch how you live. Because if we're a community of life in a world of death, we must be bearers of light, lest everybody around us perishes. So listen to how he warns us. I just want to give you guys three passages we'll close with. Look at 4, 17 and 18. 4, 17, 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Oh, see, I knew it. I knew it. It's whole identity theme, Christ. It's just a party blower. Because they walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated. You see all the language of death and exile here? Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So listen, Paul's going to step on our toes a little bit and tell you how to live because of these people. He's not saying don't be like them because you'll go to hell. He's saying don't be like them because you're a community of life in a world of death. And if you're like them, there is no community of life showing the light of the way to the promised land. It just doesn't exist. So we are being told how to live for them, not for you. Second passage is in 5-7. Therefore, and by the way, the list he mentions right above this might step on some people's toes. It talks about sexuality, and I know some Christians think they have freedom to be sexual, but whatever. Um, he says in verse 7, 5-7, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He's calling us to walk in light that we may bear fruit because fruit is a preview of what's to come in the new Eden of the new heaven and the new earth. And Paul's saying, if we're not bearing fruit and we're living unfruitful lives like them, then nobody in this whole world is ever going to know that God is calling us into something better than what we're experiencing. So again, it's not for us, but it's for them that he steps on our toes and says, live this way. It's for the world at whole. And then finally, look at uh, 5.15 through 18. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. So, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a contrast. Don't let things influence you, like the way that wine can, but let the Holy Spirit influence you, because He's our pillar of fire and cloud by day, leading us in which others will follow if we follow to the inheritance of the promised land. So, Christians, as we progress through this series, what we'll find is, one, we find our identity in the resurrection of Jesus. Then two, we form our community around the resurrection of Jesus. And number three, we fight our victory through the resurrection of Jesus. 
So that's what we are. We are inheritors of his resurrection. We were dead, but we're alive. And we are a community of life in a world of death. Father, we ask for your presence to come and make us just that, that this would indeed be tree of life, a community of life in a world of death. And Lord, help us to, as we progress, to grow continually in our identity in your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.